0: Welcome to Hive Mind, the weekly podcast from the Beehive about the latest and greatest in pop culture. I'm Meg Walter in studio today with Eli McCann. Woo. Sadly missing Nick Morley who had a work obligation because he has a real job.
1: I did offer to do impressions of him for the entire episode.
0: How offensive would they be?
1: I, I don't really think he's, I was trying to see, think of how to impersonate Nick. It'd just be kind of like this mellow, mm-hmm. it's sort of the Meg mellow.
0: Yeah. It's, a, it's genetic.
1: Yeah, I watched this film that no one's ever heard of. It was really pretty good. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, okay, tell me what you've been watching.
1: I watched, on your recommendation, it's an old recommendation, but I finally started The Comeback okay. on HBO.
0: Tell me how much you love it.
1: Look, Meg, it is one of my favorite things I've watched in a while. Yeah. I didn't realize that it wasn't new. When you talked about it last year...
0: Okay, well, so one season's really old... Uh huh. And then I think like ten years later they skip. Yeah, they do oh. another season.
1: Okay, so for those who are, have never heard of this, I had never heard of this. The comeback on HBO stars Lisa Kudrow, whom I love. Right. With every fiber of my being. That's
0: part of Friends, far and away. Yeah,
1: she is delightful, yeah. and she is so good in this. And the series is about this actress, Lisa Kudrow, who is making her comeback she was like on this really crappy tv show in the 90s but that and was a hit that was a hit she won a people's choice award yeah. for it like they like harp on that regularly it's that kind of hit and then she has been cast in this new role on this awful sitcom and the entire series is they're making a reality show about her comeback and it's very subtle humor it's not fast-paced jokes yeah it's kind of a slow burn comedy but it is really well done,
0: and it's um, it's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah,
1: Skyler can't watch it with me. He keeps saying it's bumming him out. Yeah, because it's about kind of this like washed out actress, yeah. who's who like know, lives in
0: a McMansion in Hollywood and uh, kind of like needs money and kind of does this because like, kind of
1: needs attention. Yeah, and it's a little sad. Yeah, it's that kind of humor.
0: I think about that show all the Why?
1: time. Why? What do you think? Like,
0: have you? How far are you?
1: I'm almost done with season one. I'm like so burning through it. The
0: villain in it, mm-hmm. the showrunner
1: mm-hmm. who
0: hates her, mm-hmm. their dynamic in that season and in the following season is unlike anything I've ever seen and very real and I think very emblematic of what actually happens in Hollywood to older actresses.
1: You're talking, The showrunner is the guy... the
0: the chubbier guy the right
1: he's a writer yeah okay yeah yeah Yeah. and he's just a total jerk to her and disrespectful yeah
0: and you're not really like you can kind of see why he hates her but it's like one of those things where he hates her because he resents her for Mm -hmm. whatever reason and their their chemistry is yeah really impressive
1: yeah he's a chauvinist he's yeah makes a lot of like very inappropriate workplace comments to her and about her
0: yeah, I'm really excited for you to see season two. I'm excited
1: about it, too. Anyway, uh, so
0: some really exciting things happened there. OK, what else are you watching?
1: OK, I went this weekend and finally saw Green Book. And I know we've both been really resistant to yeah. that because, well, you were worried that it was racist?
0: Not, not racist so much as maybe tone deaf. Yeah. And it's a movie that should have come out in 1990.
1: Yeah. I think it's a movie that should have maybe come out a while ago. I will say it was less racist than I think you are expecting it to be because the previews kind of make it look like racist man learns not to be racist and becomes a hero in the process. I don't think that that's actually the tone of it. There is a little bit of that. I think the tone is more a privilege issue. It's racist white man doesn't know his privilege and has to go spend time with a black man who is exhausted by the fact that he has to explain to a white man what privilege looks like.
0: Yeah. And so...
1: He's acting as this bodyguard for this black piano player who's making a trip through the South. And the piano player is constantly having to tell him, you can't treat this like a situation where you are a bodyguard for a white person. If we get into trouble, we just have to rise above it and show some dignity and move past it. We don't have that privilege here. And so it's a lot of that. It's not my favorite movie I've ever seen. I will say I found it entertaining. The music is great in it. The performances are wonderful. And it's a feel-good movie. At the end, you kind of walk out like kumbaya, happy that it worked out. And sorry, spoiler alert. It's just like it it works out fine and everybody's happy in the end and they all grew because of it. I think that you will not like it, Meg. (laughs) But I think that you won't hate it nearly as much as you're expecting.
0: Okay, that's fair.
1: I think that's it for me. Okay. What have you been watching?
0: Shits Creek season five.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. I've been watching that too. It's really great. It's recovering from season four, in my opinion. I, okay. So
0: I just rewatched season four and I liked it. Okay. It's a little cheesier than the previous three, but I was still very entertained. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that it's necessarily needed to recover from it, but okay. I think it is. It's getting a little more wacky, which I like. Like Moira's filming in Bosnia. Oh my gosh, I really yes. enjoyed. Yes, um, they're getting the kind of outside the motel. Yeah, which you like kind of gets exhausting. you yeah. know, you feel cabin fevery with these people
1: <laughs> in the motel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so
0: it's nice that there's kind of a reprieve from that. Really enjoying that.
1: Who are your favorite characters in that? And is there anyone you don't like?
0: Oh, there's no one I don't like. David. I feel like is my spirit animal. Yeah,
1: I could see that.
0: I just like his anxieties are very much my anxiety. Uh-huh. There's an episode in the first season where he's planning a game night.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: And he needs, like, the right kind of people to be there, which is something I've actually said about, like, a game night I planned. And then he's, like, very intense about the rules of the game and, like, (laughs) they have to start on time, which is absolutely how I am. Yes. So I really connect with David. And I think that Alexis doesn't get enough credit for what she's doing. Annie Murphy is so good as Alexis. She is
1: really good in that show. Yeah. And she's she, incredible. She's, she's likable. I always want there to be more screen time with her. Right? She has these little snippets where her character is constantly saying things about her past, sort of subtly. <laughs> The, these insane things that she's been involved in in her life and she yeah. drops those. So she has the art of subtlety down on that show very, very well.
0: I also think that character could have been written like a real jerk, like yeah. a real spoiled brat. But she's very empathetic mm-hmm. um, and very sweet, yeah. which I appreciate. Yeah. We finished 30 Rock. We'd kind of been watching it for just months and months, an episode or two a night. And I remember at the time being like, man, this show has gone off the rails. Mm -hmm. Looking back, I don't think that's fair. It's still funny to the end. And I feel bad that we take art and we're like, well, it's not as good as season three. Even though what people are doing is still good. We're always like, but remember... The prime was this. I kinda wish that
1: show had just gone on forever. Totally. I
0: feel that way about The Office too. So
1: I was just gonna say, I had the same experience with The Office. Last year, Skylar and I rewatched the entirety of The Office and Skylar had never seen it all the way through. And so I was like, yeah, the last couple of seasons, they're not good. Yeah. But we got to the last couple of seasons and we were like, this is still really good. Yeah. So I don't know, in my memory, you know, as it was happening, I didn't like the fact that Steve Carell wasn't on the show anymore. I still don't like any scene that has what's-his-name in it. Robert California? No, no, no. I oh. like him, actually. You do? <laughs> no, um, Elf. Who played Elf?
0: Oh, Will Elf. Ferrell. Will
1: Ferrell. I wish that he had never gone to I mean, show. it was a
0: weird character.
1: Well, he tried to just be Michael Scott. Yeah. And he was not good at it. And yeah. I, I kind of can't stand Will Ferrell anyway. But Whoa, so, that's a, a hot apart type. from Will Ferrell, it is really good. And it has one of the best series finales I've ever seen oh, in any show.
0: Absolutely. Tears every time.
1: So, why did you think 30 Rock went off the rails?
0: Uh, it just. They started getting just kind of weird and more—I always appreciated, like, the writer's room part of the show the most. The mm. actual creation of the their crappy show yeah. that they always maintained was really bad, <laughs> yeah. which I loved. And it just became more and more about Liz, who I adore, yeah. but I, I liked season one, where it was like, we're making this crappy show and we don't know why. But then, I don't know, watching it back, I was like, wow, this is still really funny. Mm-hmm. And really original and unique, though.
1: I'm sorry to 30 Rock for my (laughs) earlier judgment. I'm sure 30 Rock accepts the apology. Last year, I started binging The Dick Van Dyke Show, Uh and it struck me how parallel 30 Rock and The Dick Van Dyke Show are. Their premises are really similar. It's about these writers in a room writing this comedy sketch show that's not very good, probably kind of sounds like hokey and ridiculous. And the comedy sort of centers around their lives writing the show. It's interesting, too, because I see a lot of parallels between Tina Fey and Mary Tyler Moore, hmm. kind of their careers and the kinds of things that they produce and, and whatever else. But I've wondered, and I've never like seen an interview or read anything about this, but I've wondered if Tina Fey would say that that show inspired a lot of what they did on 30 Rock or what she wanted to create. I've seen
0: people draw that comparison
1: really? before. Really? Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I get very bothered with writers always writing screenplays about writers. It's like they don't know how to write about any other job in the world. But what I love about 30 Rock is that what they're writing isn't good. It's like a very (laughs) dumb thing that they're writing. (laughs) So it's like self-deprecating in a way Mm -hmm. I really
1: appreciate. I always say that if aliens just based their knowledge on Earth, based on movies and TV, they would think 90% of people were in show business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, like, half the movies are about show business. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right. I mean, I get it. Like, or that's de- what you know. Or but...
0: depressed writers. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it. Those are the only two things you can be. Yeah. Okay. Enough people tweeted about this that I finally gave in and watched Abducted in Plain Sight.
1: Mag talked to me. Oh, my
0: gosh. First of all, I hate that these people are Mormon. I hate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no! So,
1: they. it's not totally apparent until maybe 20 or 30 minutes in mm. that they when are. When
0: she says chorister, I'm okay. like, oh well, no. What I
1: was going to say is, if you're not Mormon, you wouldn't know. Sure, yeah. But we start. Skylar and I started watching it And 30 seconds into this, I was like, oh, it's a Mormon family. And Sky was like, how can you tell? And I was like, there's just a vibe.
0: Look at their house.
1: Yeah. And so when it got and the way, the way they talk and the way they're dressed. And so as soon as it got confirmed, I was like, called it. He's like, you have a superpower, a superpower. I was like, no, I don't like all anybody who's ever crossed Mormondom has this ability.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. You know, immediately. Yeah. Um, These people what in Mm. the world what is what all of them should be in prison
1: except for the victim or just like
0: they just need help like they just need
1: (laughs) get it together they're
0: just unbelievably stupid unbelievably dumb people these parents
1: so and the reason why meg keeps saying these parents are dumb if you have not seen this it is this documentary is about a young woman who was abducted twice Three times I, I started losing count twice um, by the same man it, very very young girl like 12 ish years oh, old it's disturbing. and her parents enable the abduction multiple times where this man at one point says that as a part of recovery for some mental illness he has he needs to um, sleep in a bed with like a 12 year old girl and the parents are like okay that makes sense and so they like invite him over to sleep in her bed
0: which okay I'm so embarrassed that they're, it's about Mormons. But the thing about Mormons is that we, like, want to, like, oh, you need help? Okay. Like, they yeah. took this to, like, such an Very extreme, gullible. such a naivete, yeah. like, Pocatello, Idaho, never distrusted anyone in their life. Mm-hmm. Anyway, keep going.
1: So it's just, it's a lot of that for, like, an hour and a half, two hours, where the parents are just talking about how they... Took the next step to enable another abduction of their daughter. And you're watching this, and it's just like, this can't get worse. This can't get worse. And then it constantly gets worse. The whole time. The whole time. And what I will say is, in my job, I deal with a lot of child abuse. Yeah. And I think people would be shocked at how stupid a lot of parents really? are. Really? Because I was watching it, and I've seen the Twitter reaction to this documentary, and people are just like, nobody is really like this. Nobody's really like this. And the whole time I was watching it, I was like, yep, people are like this. Like, I see parents who are aware that their child has been abused, and they don't want to rock the boat and report it because they don't want the perpetrator to get in trouble. You know, there's just like a lot of that kind of thing where it's like, yeah, enabling happens. And so this isn't a shock to me. But I do think that this is a somewhat extreme example of that. Yeah. Ugh. I don't even know if I recommend it to people. No.
0: If you want to feel really angry for 90 minutes and just, it's not just enabling, but spoiler alert, both of the parents have an affair with this man, this yeah. kidnapper, this man who kidnapped their daughter. Yep.
1: WTF. And then there are aliens in it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I can't. I can't even. (laughs) There's actual alien plot in this. (laughs) I just, I can't
0: believe this is a story they wanted told. The mom wrote a book and self-published a book, and it's like, you're not the good guy in this. There's one good guy, and that's the poor little girl who was abducted and has
1: now forgiven and
0: become an activist.
1: I will say, to their credit, and I want to give them the benefit of the doubt on this, they probably know how awful they look and the fact that they're putting that story out there and trying to be activists in this to warn other parents. I think that these parents have an insane amount of guilt and I think that for good reason For good reason, and I think that they are probably at this point in their lives where they're like we don't care how awful and stupid we look if we can prevent this from happening to somebody else or like a much more toned down version of this from happening to somebody else. Let's just do that so that we can try and you know,
0: I hope that's the case. I hope it's not a cash grab. I hope so, too. Okay, final thing before we dive into our reason for gathering here mm. today. I had not wanted to see this movie, and I had been putting it off despite how good I had heard it was. Okay, But I took my four-year-old to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse.
1: Okay, tell me.
0: I had not wanted to see this movie because superhero movies never work for me. Yeah. This movie works because all superhero movies should be cartoons. When I see a grown actor wearing a, a onesie <laughs> with a letter on it and a cape, I'm like, what are you doing? This is stupid. <laughs> In this movie, it's a preteen boy and it's a cartoon and it is one of the coolest movies I have ever seen. Really, It is so innovative It's so fun to watch, and the soundtrack is so great. Hmm. I could not recommend this movie enough.
1: Really? You didn't get bored at all in it?
0: No. It is visually the coolest movie I've ever seen. Okay. I'm surprised it's not nominated for Best Picture, honestly, because it's so different from any animated movie I've ever seen.
1: Really? Did it get any nominations at all?
0: Best Animated, Okay, which I would hope would win. And I'm a Pixar stan. I love everything Pixar does, but this movie... Is very unique and very different and very entertaining.
1: It's still only in theaters, right? Yes. I probably can't get myself to go to the theater to watch it. Okay,
0: I would recommend seeing it in the theater because it's such a colorful cinematic experience. Okay. I don't know if it would play as well on a small
1: screen. Did your kids like it?
0: Ramona Ramona liked it. That was her second time seeing it. Really? Yeah. Okay. We did eat a lot of popcorn. That could have been why she's still, but (laughs) she did. There's like this really emotional, quiet moment. Mm -hmm. And Ramona said, Mom, I very need to go
1: potty. Oh, like loudly. I very need (laughs) to go potty. That kid is so cute. She's the best.
0: Okay. Last week, we said we were going to talk about the acting nominations, but because Nick isn't here and because we haven't quite had the chance to see all of the nominated performances yet, today we're going to talk about a movie we've both seen and I think should win Best Picture.
1: Yes, thank you. I'm so glad you agree. Roma. Mm -hmm. I watched
0: Roma yesterday, how all great movies should be watched in 10-minute bursts while I was nursing a baby. (laughs)
1: Because you can watch it on Netflix.
0: And you know what? It was still really great. Yeah. It still was impactful, and it was still beautiful, and I haven't stopped thinking about it. Yep. I really liked
1: this movie. So you were resistant for a while to see it because you were worried that you had to be like in a you had heard that it was it could bum you out. Right? I'm glad
0: I didn't watch it when I was pregnant.
1: Okay. yeah. I was wondering, did it bum you out or did it have the effect on you that you had heard it might?
0: Yeah, it's traumatic. Mm-hmm. It's emotional. As a warning to listeners, there's a traumatic
1: birth scene. Mm-hmm. That is really hard to watch. It's yeah. not graphic.
0: It's not graphic. It's, it's just.
1: just so emotionally devastating. My mom
0: had actually told me what happens, and I'm glad she did. I'm glad I was prepared for that. Yeah, I think it would have been more devastating had I not. I mean, obviously it ruined the climax of the movie, but as someone who just went through birth, I was glad I was prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really into this movie.
1: Yeah. As always, we should have started. There will be spoilers. So if you have not seen Roma, I really do recommend you pause this, go watch it, and then come back and you can listen to us yak about it later. I think that this movie is worth seeing with a fresh set of eyes and knowing not very much about what's going to happen. I mean,
0: even though that part had been ruined for me. I didn't really know what the story was, Mm -hmm. and I'm glad I didn't. Mm -hmm. I think this movie does a really good job of presenting a bigger story through the lens of one person. Mm -hmm. And that person is this maid, Cleo, who works for a middle-class family in Mexico City. I actually looked up why the movie's called Roma. It's the district of Mexico City in which they live. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot happening in Mexico at the time Yeah, that well, I actually looked up after, which I think is a sign of a good movie yeah. where I'm like, wow, I want to learn more about what that
1: movie was showing. Me. A lot of civil unrest and riots. And yeah, you know, it was interesting. It takes place in the 70s. And one thing that was fascinating to me is I didn't realize that it was the 70s until like halfway through the film because you're in a different country. Yeah. You're in a country that is poorer than the country that I live in. Styles look different. Yeah. It would not surprise me to see cars in Mexico that are older now. And so we got kind of like halfway through this film or quite a ways into it. And then they run into these family members that they have from America who are dressed like 70s. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's right. Like, this is not taking place now. Like, I haven't seen any current technology or whatever else. And I thought that was really fascinating. They didn't overdo any aspect of this movie. Everything was, was just really, really beautiful in that way.
0: It's the most subtle movie I think I've ever seen in mm-hmm. that they don't even follow characters. There's just a shot and characters come in and out of it and yeah. you're not tracking with them. Mm-hmm. You may be hearing the conversation off the screen and they may be into the shot, but you're never a point of view other than if you were just a bystander witnessing this Yeah.
1: The camera really follows this main character, this maid, and it's interesting because you get a perspective on the family that she's working for that she probably would have had Yeah, because she's walking through the house, picking up stuff as she goes, and you can hear family conversations happening as she's walking by them, and you pick up just enough to sort of piece together what's happening with this family because they're dealing with their own traumas. A marriage that's falling apart and some infidelity. It took
0: me three quarters of the movie to figure out what
1: was happening with that marriage. Yeah.
0: Which I think was intentional.
1: It was, a, it, that was the point because you were, I think you're supposed to in this movie see it from her perspective yeah. and her perspective is this lowly maid who is friends with the family and has a good relationship with them but she's not in these conversations with them and they
0: still treat her like a servant yeah like they're all watching a movie and the mom says oh will you go get the doctor some tea like yeah. and so she has to stand up go to the kitchen and on the one hand that's her job on the other hand it's like we want to keep you at bay
1: yeah yeah throughout the movie she's not a member of the family i really liked it because the story was about her and what was happening with the family affects her Anything we understood about the family would have been what she would have understood about the family. And I loved that. Yeah. The movie really is largely about her relationship with the family. And ultimately, she is going through her own trauma while the family is going through its own trauma. The traumas are completely unrelated to one another. And there's
0: trauma in the location
1: and there's trauma happening just in mexico city and so all these separate traumas that are completely unrelated to one another but like sometimes intersect are all happening simultaneously and the ultimate effect is that it draws her and the mother and the children together in this really really incredible way where at the end of the movie you get this point where she walks out into the water to save these children who are drowning or yeah. gotten caught in the waves and pulls them in. And she's having her own meltdown because she's sort of in recovery from this traumatic experience that she's had independently. And they all just kind of huddle together and hug and tell each other that they love each other. And I was sobbing, yeah. sobbing at the end of this movie.
0: That scene is... Is very effective in what we were talking about earlier, where the camera isn't showing you exactly what's going on. So she's waiting out in the water looking for these two kids. Mm -hmm. And you have no idea where the kids are. The camera isn't doing you any favor showing you that Sophie's under a wave. You Mm -hmm. have no idea what's happening. And I think it's so effective. And I think about the trauma, the three separate traumas, the day she goes into labor is the day of the, I think it's the Corpus Christi massacre Mm -hmm. at the university where 140 people were killed. Mm. Her water breaks. They go to the hospital. The father who has told his children he's in Canada Mm -hmm. doing research shows up in the elevator to tell his maid Mm -hmm. to hang in there. It's going to be okay. And then the doctor said, would you like to come to the delivery room? And he says, oh, no. oh I'm busy, like, yeah. which is so indicative of his character, right? Yeah. even though we've only seen him for 30 seconds on film at this point. It's just
1: this dirt bag. You just can, it's you like that's that. so
0: brilliantly yeah. written that yeah. he's just is, he cares, but not enough. Mm-hmm. She has a stillborn baby. And it's just like this climax of trauma. Like you mm-hmm. said, everything converging at once, this family's falling apart. Her life is falling apart. The country's in unrest. And it's just this one event that so
1: beautifully ties that all together that
0: I just thought was profound and wonderful filmmaking.
1: The hospital scene showcased what I think was one of the strongest performances of the movie that I have not heard talked about very much. And that was the grandmother. Yeah. So grandma, I guess, does she live with the family? I think she lives with the family. Which I think is
0: fairly common in Mexico.
1: Generations living together. And grandma is not a main character in this film. But she has some significant screen time, I think. She's kind of always in the background helping take care of the kids and whatever else. Grandma is with the maid... While they're out shopping for a crib when the water breaks. And so grandma's the one that has to get her to the hospital. And it is a really stressful scene because they're stuck in traffic because of the civil unrest that's happening. And grandma's kind of having this meltdown and she's stressed and whatever else. And she's this older woman. And one of my favorite parts of the movie is they rush into the hospital. The hospital is packed just packed with people. And grandma gets up to the front counter and she is like clearly losing it. Yeah. And she's like, my maid, I'm her employer. She needs help or whatever. And so they take her up and the camera actually stays with grandma for a minute while the people behind the counter are trying to ask her basic questions about, does she have insurance? Do you know her last name? And she doesn't know any of the information. And she's just like, I don't know. I don't know. Her and age. It's, oh, I was watching that scene and I was like, that's exactly what a person who is in trauma meltdown looks like yeah that grandma was phenomenal in this yeah. movie
0: i'm i think impressed is the word that this was written by alfonso Carone, a man mm-hmm. because the message of this movie to me was men are trash mm. men at large are trouble this movie is about women helping other women mm-hmm. even the doctor who delivers the baby is a woman mm. and the men in it are just awful yeah I've heard it's autobiographical to an extent, so I don't know how much of the story is true. My thought was that he's the youngest son Mm -hmm. who says these kind of crazy things about how he was once alive and then died. And he says, like, when I was old. Yeah. I was in the ocean and you saved me. Like, I, don't know. I don't know what he's doing with that character. I don't know what that reflects on him. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting how brutal he was toward the male
1: characters. It is interesting. In I, this movie. I read an interview that he gave and this, can't remember the maid's name, it's been like a month. Cleo. He was asked, you know, is Cleo based on a real person? He said, yes, Cleo is based on a maid his family had when he grew up in Mexico City and a lot of what happens in the movie is based on her story that she experienced. Cleo is still a part of their lives and he said in the interview that they screened the movie with her Uh and that she was very emotional through it. And at the end, she said that she felt like it captured what her experience felt like. Really? Obviously, this is him telling us that that's what she said. So I don't know. But it was interesting. I like the fact that he drew from personal experience to create this. And I think you can tell that there's personal experience involved in this. I don't know that it would be possible to create something that feels this raw and real. Yeah. Yeah unless you had some kind of personal experience to draw from. There were so many aspects of it that were so subtle, but made it feel like a very real movie. There's this scene where grandma's sitting at the, kitchen table with one of the kids and Cleo's kind of cleaning up and one of the other kids runs in and waves like a piece of candy or mm-hmm. a Twinkie or something in front of the other's face to show like look mom brought home Twinkie or grandma brought Twinkies or whatever yeah. and the other kids like I want one and then they kind of run and it just little things like that that had nothing to do with the plot but it was just yeah that's what a family with little kids looks like Yeah, it felt very very real
0: I will say that you need to give this movie a minute you're mm. gonna start it and
1: think like this is
0: slow This is,
1: this might be a slog. Well, the opening credits are like an hour and a half long.
0: (laughs) Yes, of just water coming (laughs) in and out. And it's in black and white. And you're like, is this going to start? Like, what are we? And I don't think there's music. Mm -mm. Is there any music in the whole movie? Nope. There's no music. Mm -mm. No soundtrack for Roma. So it is slower than you might be accustomed to, but the payoff is worth it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of building to that essential climax of the movie mm-hmm. and everything that happens after and he's really putting a lot of work in to make that happen and mm-hmm. make it successful. I was blown away by this. And again, like my viewing experience was not <laughs> what yeah. what the viewing experience of a best picture movie should be and I still was
1: blown away. So you think it should win, it beat the favorite for you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't know if the acting I don't know if the performances are better than the performances in The Favorite. Uh, I think The Favorite performances are flashier. Mm -hmm. But I would be satisfied with the acting performances, either of them winning. I really want Roma to win Best Picture.
1: I agree. I recommend this movie to everyone. There is some non-sexual nudity in it. It's kind of absurd nudity. Yeah.
0: But it's male nudity, which you don't see a lot of.
1: So you loved it. I was there. <laughs> like <for it>. yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't love it. My parents watched it. Yeah. So, I would recommend this to everyone. That's mm-hmm. usually my bar. Yeah. <laughs> Next week when Nick returns, we will be making our actual predictions. We're going to go through our yeah, ballots. Uh, yeah, we'll talk more about the acting nominations which we've promised to do and tell you what we think should win and what will actually win. So, until then, Remember to leave us a good rating on wherever you leave podcast ratings and tune in next week. Thanks.